Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This episode is brought to you by Bias Agency Australia. I was speaking to him, I think, the, the next day and he said, we're talking about this school and I said, yeah, I'm all done. He goes, okay, tomorrow you're on the sites. So from full time. So This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyron Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with Fayyad Fayyad co-founder of property development agency, Ellison Property. Fayyad's experience with construction began when his dad pulled him into the workforce after his exams finished. Learn how he climbed his way through the ranks of the company to develop large-scale projects with over 15,000 units. After years of experience working as part of his father's company, Fayyad and his brother took the plunge and launched their own business last year. The way I approach my business is that I I work for my business and I work for my staff. So what that means is that my I don't have a typical day, a day in the life or I don't have a typical, apart from my uh, um, set meetings that I have with various different um, team leaders. My day usually consists of um, attending to the business's needs. So whether that might be um, attending a construction site to to make some decisions out there or, or give some guidance or or jumping into a sales meeting to to help help um, advice or or just I, I guess roaming around the office and making sure everything's okay and and, and dealing with any questions you know so i'm very um, responsive to emails i guess um and very um i don't like to have so much of a structured day apart from my timings um but what my days consist of is really um attending to business and staff needs being co-founders how did fayard and his brother split the responsibilities of the business currently um um, my title in the business is, is co-founder. Um, so uh, we haven't at the moment um, uh, decided on having a typical structure, my brother and I. So uh, we've decided at the moment, it, it may change in the future, but at the moment we, we'd like to be um, dual, um, dual founders and then have uh, we have a general manager um, that oversees uh, uh, the operations and then uh, with him, there is uh, the general, the, the team leaders, whether that be in planning, sales, marketing. Um, so it's a very flat structure. We, we don't like to be very um, uh, hierarchical. So it's uh, it's very just um, whatever you need to get the job done. That's all we need. It's not about um, setting up a myriad of reporting lines. It's just let's get the job done. So that lends itself to us, um, Ramon and I, to be co-founders, which is more um, more practical, I guess, rather than a typical CEO sort of arrangement. Absolutely. I mean, you, you guys have, have had a very interesting background in your history, um, working in property development for you know pretty much your whole life, and you've grown up in that family of it. But let, let's jump back then to talk a little bit about yourself personally and get to know you. Um, maybe let's firstly start off with uh, where did you grow up? Firstly, so I grew up in the western suburbs of Sydney. Um, so where we are now. Uh, I grew up, I guess, five kilometres down the road. So, and just uh, maintain maintain the area. So, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so I haven't, haven't gone far from where I've grown up. What's it like to actually grow up, you know, I guess going to school in the area and then also work in the area now that, you know, you're only five kilometres for where you, you grew up in, in there. What was it like for you to go to school and stuff like that? The family has a lot of background in the area. So my uncles went to school in the area. Um, my my mother went to school in the area. So it's very, um, I guess, it, it it is home, but it actually felt like um, it, it didn't felt that I was 
brought up in here. It was, it was the family was brought up in here. So the schools I went to, my uncles went to it, um, both primary school and high school. So there was kind of like a, um, I guess the feeling was warm before I actually went into the school. So it was more, um, I guess, uh, what it's like. It's, it's, it's very, it's, I guess, proud. It's, it's, a, it's a very proud feeling um, what it was like to, to grow up in this area and, and to be in this area at the moment. So still there doing business. Um, and uh, my, the way I drive to work is the way my mum used to drop me off to go to school. So it's kind of, it's same same road, same, uh, just a bit further down the road. So it's kind of it takes me back memory lane every morning on the way to work. So mum would drive you to school. You'd go down that same path, which you drive to work as well. What were some of the fond memories that you had back in school? Say, you know, primary school growing up. There's not much I remember at, at primary school, I guess. Um, I do definitely remember my, my first day and in, in, the, in the tail end of primary school, getting into year four, five and six. Um, but yeah, I, I just remember it being a very, um, it was a very tiny school. So I think it was, um, it was about 170, 180 students in the school. So it was very close knit. Um, I remember one of my fondest memories of high school, uh, sorry, primary school was, um, was the weekend sport, I guess. So I wasn't too um, into, I mean, I was in education, but the, the highlight for me was the, the weekend sport, which I played rugby league from the ages of um, uh, age of four and a half all the way up to 13. So that was, that was my whole uh, primary school years. Tell me a little bit more about the rugby side and the sporting side. What what drew in, you into doing those activities? I think rugby league. I was um, I was very um, being in the western suburbs of Sydney. I, I used to follow, and I, I still do follow the Parramatta Eels. Um, and I think even in the early days, maybe even before uh, starting rugby league, I seen that watching it actually meant that it was the thing to do so what i mean was is that i used to watch it on the weekend or like on a friday night and then it'd be something that i want to aspire to do so um naturally being involved and and and, um, supporting a team and then actually playing for your own team on the weekend it kind of just it rubbed off on each other so it was that like my heroes of the day were on channel nine on a Friday night on the, on the, um, on the football field. So when I was, had the opportunity to play for my school, I guess it was just uh, the best, uh, what I wanted to do um, apart from other sports as well. So I guess it was my, um, the the level of respect or the level of following I had for the, the the professional footballers on the field watching on TV um, just meant that I had to do that um, myself. So yeah, just following in leadership, following in heroes' footsteps, I guess. That's great. So, did that love of sport continue on all the way through into high school as well? Yeah, it did. But I think when you get older, um, it gets a bit um, not so much physical, but it gets a bit more professional. And I guess um, when I was younger, I was probably the bigger boy in class, so I could just um, my size would do the work. But getting older uh, it had to be a bit more training three nights a week and and um went to a great school but it was kind of had to choose where my mindset was going am I going education or am I going um sporting so uh, because um our school was so um um so I guess dominant and so um disciplined in their sporting that it was very hard to balance um both so um coming back from an ethnic background i guess the 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 best way or the the um acceptable decision would be go down the education route and leave the um sporting for um our younger days i guess and i guess going to school as well did you go to school the same school as your brother as well yeah we went to the same schools we were um I guess six years apart, but we, we followed the same um, paths. So I went to Marist High in Parramatta 
for my high school um, just in Westmead there. Yeah, and what was it like because six years apart usually it would probably be just when he's you're finishing high school and then he's just starting high school as well. Yeah, so I was, um, I um, helped him into kindergarten and when I was in year six, so we kind of spent a year together at the same school, then I moved to high school and then he carried through to primary school. And then um, in high school, actually, we didn't cross paths. Well, we did. We didn't actually. I finished before he actually started. So, so let's say we, we finished high school. What, what did you do after that? Did you go out and start working, getting some experience or did you also go and further education and studies? So straight after high school, I remember my last HSC exam was on a Thursday um, and uh, my my father actually i was speaking to him i think the, the next day and he said we're talking about this school and i said yeah i'm all done he goes okay tomorrow you're on the sites so from full time so uh yeah last last exam i can't remember what that was exactly but it, thursday was my last exam and saturday was on the construction site so if my dad found out i finished on thursday i think i'd be there on a friday so and i've been at work since so <laughs> Gosh, oh, you gotta love your dad. The next uh, January, I was in. Um, I went to do building studies at, at, at Hornsby TAFE. So, and did four years there. Finished my um, building course, and um, yeah, and, and that was that was that was it for education, formal yeah. education, I guess. Yeah. Fayad's family has been in the development space for decades. What was it like for him to grow up around that? I guess um, it was very very as, uh, aspirational. So my earlier days, even at school, um, being brought up in, a, in a, a property family, I guess it was very something to um, look up to and be proud proud with, um, be proud about. So I guess it was, um, it was very easy to be brought up in it in the sense that um, I was very proud of it. I was very proud. Um, I was very eager to learn from my father, from my uncles. Um, and it was just, um, I don't know if it was second nature because I um, grew up on the construction sites. I mean, even my early days in primary school, my weekends was on on site, Not obviously not because of slave labor, but just to help help my dad like just accompany my dad to the sites and play with the sand and and just wasn't really working but just being in the environment actually um instilled something that um is still with me today so it kind of um it was being in the family definitely wasn't forced on me it was um uh, i was supported in the direction that i took Having been exposed to the development world from a young age, the work came naturally to Fayyad when he picked up his first tool. But he had still a lot to learn before he could reach the top. Construction is very, um, uh, I guess, dog eats dog and just very, very, uh, um, very structural, very, um, very uh, tough. I guess um, coming into... I don't know if it's my, the way I was brought up, but I didn't come in as uh, the owner's son, I guess. So I, I started on the construction sites as a labourer, sweeping the units, uh, mixing cement for the the bricklayers. So, um, and I, and I worked my way through the um, the levels that way. So I didn't come in um, from the top for a couple of reasons. I guess it's just not my nature to do that, and to it's hard to come in and uh, tell people who are more experienced than you to to do something that they've done better than you so it's kind of it's it's not very authentic to to do that so um, I worked my way through the sites from laborer to leading hand to site foreman project manager um, construction manager and where I am now that's amazing and how how long were you working within your, your family's business as well so I started in 99 when I finished school. Um, so full-time from late 99 all the way up to um, last year actually where I was uh, full-time in the family until um, right now where uh, Ramon and I have um, um, established our own development company. Yeah, and you would have taken a lot of great experiences in over that period of time to be able to 
establish something that you know is yours and now your brothers as well too yeah correct there's a lot of lessons there's a lot of um good lessons hard lessons that um come out of that i guess uh how much is that 20 years 20 plus years um that was um, set us up in in a good um good frame of mind and and good um good backing to to set up um something new so it is new but it comes with old and um and tried and tested um processes i guess Working on sites wasn't the only thing he did over the years. How did Fayard prepare to become a business owner himself? I made a point of uh, dabbling in every um, section of the business, whether that be in marketing or sales or actually getting in um, the day-to-day, the nitty-gritty so that um, when I did eventually um, were overseeing all of them, I-, I could speak to the sales manager as in, in a regard of, of being there, done that sort of thing rather than, well, I'm here, the boss, and just give me your reports and report to me and uh, crack the whip and that sort of thing. So um, I made a, a conscious effort to to um, not spend just an hour in every department but actually spend a good portion of up to months in different departments um, working with the teams um, to get first-hand experience of the ins and outs of every every um, department and so that it, it set me up so that um, fast forward in the future, it um, allowed me to speak and earn the respect out of um, them receiving, whether it be an instruction or guidance from someone that has um, has been with them and, and been in the trenches with them. So That is just so key and fundamental because when people actually understand that you've actually been there done that and you can talk their own language as well too they appreciate and respect it a lot more yeah that's correct and i also i i acknowledge that i've got people around me who are better at me better better at things than what i would be so and that's why they're that's why they're in the business um so let's face it spending one month in a sales team is not going to teach you everything so it does allow you to set uh, frameworks and guidelines and and give a bit of direction but at the end of the day when it gets down to the nuts and bolts you, you have to rely on people and and take advice from people um and then i'm i'd like to say that i really listen to people and i'm and i'm not arrogant in that sense where i know best so when Fayard joined the business over 20 years ago, it was mainly a construction business. So, it was natural for him to go into that side of the work. I started on the construction sites and the my family's business commenced as a construction company which then evolved into construction and property development. Um, so, at the outset um, from establishment phase, it was, uh, it was a contract builder. Um, so, I think at the early... When I started... Um, in the company in 99, it was at that stage where the company was more construction and had a little office of development, um, whereas these days it's kind of it's, it's flipped the other way around. So I guess coming into the company, uh, property development was just done by, I guess, my dad and my uncles and a few um, um, planners and bankers and, and that's it. But but the other 98% of the company were out on the construction sites. So, and that was that at that time, that's when I did start in the business. So it was kind of natural to be um, construction. Um, and, and that's, I guess, being there, that's, that's where I started and spent most of that time. Um, that's probably why I've got that, um, I guess, uh, uh, construction background. Um in me and I, and I still like to, that's my, I guess, sense of release, release now is heading out to a construction site. Even if I don't need to um, attend to anything, I just, rather than going out for a walk outside, I just duck down to the closest construction site and do a few laps through the building there, just as it's really, um, just to get a bit of a recharge. How did the business develop over time? The construction team stayed as it is, if not grew even larger. It's, it's the fact that the property then team um, became it grew so in terms of um, um, where myself and my father would spend time instead of being 90% construction site and then I guess from four to six at night 
looking at how the plans are going at council and then um, it became more that um, uh, that became more of our nine to five and so we had to engage um, and employ construction managers um, and project directors to oversee the construction business because we got that pretty much down pat um, and then we so I guess it didn't evolve into a development um, from construction to development it actually construction remained and development just kind of like it grew another wing I guess in the business it expanded yeah rather than evolve it just expanded um, so uh, yeah, I mean, we probably had 98% of, at early days, 98% of the staff were on construction sites, at 2% in office, um, and now it's probably, probably 60-40. Fayard explains the difference between property construction and property development. So, the developer would buy the site, it would get the approvals, then pass the plans over to the construction side of the business, which is the, the, the builder, um, build the building. The builder would hand it back to the developer, then do what they want to do with it, either sell it, live in it, rent it out. Or, so I guess the, the best way to explain it would be um, if you were to engage a handyman at your house, um, you are the developer and the handyman is the, the builder. So you actually have the final say that you rely on the builder's expertise to actually get the job done. So for Ellison Property at this point in time, uh, where where do you lie at the moment or where does this company lie? Is it more property development and or still a bit of construction? We like to see it as a property development agency rather than a typical property developer that owns the land and, and, and does everything um, from planning to sales and as a, as a landowner. We, Ramon and I, have consciously set up the business so that it's it's a it's a like an agency model, um, and with that, it's it's set up now. It currently provides the property development services for family assets, whether that be construction or, or office buildings that the family owns, and so. In our past, we've, we've always always been approached by other landowners that don't quite know how to get buildings up and running, whether that be from a planning to a construction. Um, and we'd always have to turn them back because um, working for yourself and then working for someone else, there's different dynamics um, that it probably, there's a lot more reporting when you do, um, when you're working for a third party rather than for yourself. So... Do you find yourself stressed out not knowing how or where to find the best property deals or what the best strategy is to build a wealth generating portfolio? Well, Dragon Dominski can help you while you save time and money. With about two decades of experience as an investor and expert buyer's agent, he finds positively geared properties with development potentials and secures and negotiates off-market deals for his clients. Now, he's offering you a no-obligation 45-minute strategy call to get you started. Just simply text the code BAA with your name and email address to 0405-105-074 to get your no-obligation free 45-minute strategy call. Fayard built Ellison Property from the ground up with his brother Ramon with great success but it hasn't always been a smooth ride. He tells us about one of the mistakes he made in collaboration with the Hilton Hotel Group. Yeah, so I was on um, holiday with a few friends in, in the Gold Coast and I mean, it's not our backyard but we were there for a holiday and, and the Hilton Hotel was getting built at that time. Um, and it was... It had an arrangement where you could buy the apartment and then put them back in the hotel pool. So it kind of like you buy it, but then you offer it back to the hotel and then they run it. And it's still running, still running now. But um, I guess it was like an impulse buy. I didn't do my homework, um, put down the deposit, um, paid like a little bit of money for it. And right now, probably 10 years later, it's probably, probably worth worth the same as it is now than when I paid for it. 
kind of it took a backward step and then came back in. And I think um, that was really, um, it's not a, it's, it's not a good um, indication or a good, um, the, um, so what would I say? It's not a good reflection on the property um, space um, in general. This was a, um, it was bought, in the middle of uh, it was a boom. It was um, um, like a holiday hotel branded. It was kind of a bit, bit, um, bit pumped up a bit. So that's why um, it look. That was my worst, and it's still um, today. It's it's still worth the same value. So in, term, in terms of being worst in property, it means you kind of staying where you are. Yeah, you lost opportunity cost there. Yeah, so it's kind of if if that's the worst in property, property can't be that too bad. So. What was it that attracted you? Was there was it because it potentially they could have gone up there and used it in your spare time, or is it because it's a a branded type of apartment there that you could rent out? What was the attraction to purchasing that investment? Look, I think it was a bit of both. It was definitely um, at the time I was buying a few apartments in in different areas, um, like one in Sydney CBD and one on in the Northern beaches. And um, it was kind of at that time where I was looking and, and um, looking outside of our nine to five business, I guess, and just um, um, investing in different um, aspirational, I guess, apartments. The one in Queensland was, um, I guess, um, what made me do it. I, I have a passion of getting into hotels. I still do now. Um, and I think being part of a hotel sort of environment and it was an opportunity to be there but not be there, so just get a flavour of it. So buy an apartment and you're actually part of a hotel. Like So it's kind of like you're thinking that maybe this is um, my way of getting into hotels. Like, um so yeah, I've, 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 I do have in the back of my mind. I've always um, loved to get into hotels and eventually own hotels, um, um, either through Ellison or, or through the family. Um, that's that's a dream vision of mine um, to 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 get into hotels. And I saw this as an opportunity to to one have a um, um, a place for holidays. Um, when I wanted to, um, and also be part of a like a, a hotel environment, hotel business, I guess. So, you've had a lot of experience and built, you know, thousands and thousands of apartments across. Actually, has it been mostly in New South Wales that, that you've built um, apartments in the past, or has it actually gone into other states as well? We've invested interstate. Um, we've had um, we've been partners with other developers, um, but we let them do the role because it's their backyard. Um, but our our nine to five and where we get our hands dirty is, is in um, is is in Sydney, I guess. So uh, over that period of time, you've you've obviously done a lot of apartments, built a lot of apartments. Was there actually an opportunity to potentially convert one of them into maybe a hotel? Yeah, I mean structurally, it's it's fairly similar. Um, it's just the, the property, um, whether it, it um, it's, I guess it comes down to zoning as well. Um, so we buy a lot in the residential areas. So um, it doesn't tend to lend itself to hotel bills. But the more we get into CBD, parameter CBD, like at the moment, we're working on a, a, a complex where it's a combination of um, um, it's three towers. So two towers are actually residential and one tower is a hotel. Um, so it's, it's, it's been approved. Um, um, so now we're just looking at ways to um, pre-sell the apartments and potentially we're looking at the hotel structure, whether we engage a manager to, to run it or do we sell the actual um, hotel structure to, a, to an established um, hotel operator. Um, so it's funny you mentioned it because at the moment we're, we're kind of um, we're there, but I guess what I mean by my vision to be in hotels is to actually be in the operation. So not so much as owning the building and then renting it out to I don't know like a like a Marriott or a Four Seasons. It's actually 
being that Marriott or being the Four Seasons. So that's where my, that's where my passion is. So um, that that is kind of that, that's that's a totally different business, I guess. So um, at the, and it could be another step in the door. The first the first step was the apartment in the Hilton in Gold Coast, and this one might be. Um, constructing, developing and constructing the building and then having um, as a landlord and then have um, a Hilton or someone similar to that um, being the the tenant and operating a hotel out of it. Wow. It, it's amazing. You are living very, very close to your dream now because you are actually constructing one. Yeah, I can, it's, it's, I can see it. It's on the horizon. <laughs> but yeah, like I said, it's, it's not something and that goes back to I don't like um, do things half-heartedly so if i want to get into hotels i'd have to really um know my stuff and, and not just um be a developer turn into a hotel operator um it's, it's just a totally different ball game and i don't want to um i guess stuff it up Fayyad's aha moment happened when he was working on his first development which actually started as an investment property I purchased a um um, uh, at a, I guess a five hundred thousand um, dollar four bedroom home on a on a block of land, a typical um, suburban um, home cottage, I guess. Um, so yeah, I, I that was in my early days, so straight out of or a few years, couple years out of school. Um, so I guess my the aha moment there was, I don't want to say how easy it is, but how how I guess getting into the property, getting onto the property ladder, how many, um, like definitely wasn't easy, but it was easier than what I thought. Like on the construction sites, I was building for, um, um, obviously for the company, but then I'd, at the tail end, I'd see people coming in and moving in. And and then like, I'd, I'd think about, I guess, where are all these rich people coming from? So I'd see like three or four of, like at the time they were probably $400,000 apartments. And and I didn't know much about property investing at the time and, and the banks and lending and all that stuff. And I, and I just think people would come here with a $400,000 check, pick up their keys and move into the, and I go like, how many of these sort of people are there? It can't be that, like, like I don't know these sort of people. Where, where are they coming from? It wasn't until I got into it myself, like a few years out from school, where my dad actually, um, this the, the property I was talking about came up for sale in our street, and my father said, um, "I think you should get into to, to get into property. Um, you know how to build, and I guess the next next natural step is it's a good way to um, invest some money." And I said, "Yeah, Dad, but like, um, how do I do it? Like." I, I don't have five hundred thousand dollars, and and he goes, uh, "What do you mean?" And I said, uh, "But like, I want to buy it, but how do I get into it?" And he goes, "No, no, 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 no. Here's here's what you do. You need, at the time, the banks I think were lending ninety percent, so you need a ten percent deposit. Um, we happen to know the people, so we kind of structured the deposit until settlement. Um, got ninety percent from the bank, and so that whole journey was like." Hang on, I could get a five hundred thousand dollar home with fifty thousand dollars, and um, and even that fifty thousand, the way I got it was a little bit of saving, and then talking to the 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 um, talking to the vendor about a structured way to, to come up with that fifty thousand at the time. Um, yeah, so I got a little bit of help from dad and 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 the plan with the the vendor, a little bit of savings, come up with the fifty. But I guess what I mean, what I, why it became an aha moment is because it's actually there's so many resources around that actually want you to invest and, and help you to invest. So I'd be there sitting before this time, I'd be th- sitting there or I'd be driving past the home for sale sign, 600,000. That's nice, but how do I get there? Like I'm going to have to wait till I earn 600,000 or have that much in sex. And how are people doing it daily? Like where are like, and once I got into that um, process and then worked out that um, it was a $50,000 investment and then the bank come up with the rest, that kind of, it, 
in my mind, holding me back or the big question mark in my mind for property development industry was how widespread is it? How many people can come up with these three and four hundred thousand dollar checks and pick? So then going through my experience and then working out, well, hang on, these three or four hundred thousand dollar apartments actually really only cost people maybe thirty thousand dollars and the rest were relying on banks or other ways of, of getting funds and so I kind of like said, well, hang on, this property space, it's actually, it's for everyone then. So experiencing that journey firsthand really was a real standout moment and a real eye-opener and I guess a door-opener for, for, the, for the industry in, in, in my head, I guess. Does that mean then you go, wow, instead of just buying one of these properties, I can buy say 10 of these properties? <laughs> they actually developed that property into a duplex, so... It kind of, yeah, like uh, sat there for a little bit, um, earned some rent, um, got a DA on it, went back to the bank, got a bit more money, started uh, building it. And me, background building, uh, I did a bit bit of it myself, so kind of helped with the costs there. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 an, it's my first investment and it's an investment I still have today. So uh, I'm assuming that um, you, you also spend quite a bit of time as well looking at investing properties or do you mostly focus on property development at the moment at this point in time? Um, a bit of both. So at the moment, we, I mean, we look at, we deal with real estate agents in the property development space. So we get offered a lot of um, um, development sites for sale. Um, so in, in those conversations, you actually come across some good investments whether that be a, a, a like a newly built or completed uh, uh, office tower that's come onto the market, so although our we're we're predominantly property development um, and um, uh, turning a, a piece of land into finished apartments for the for the end user, we do do our own investments as a by the by, I guess, like in the, in the actual process of property development, you get you get offered opportunities to become um, a property investor as well. Growing up around the property construction industry, Fayard learned a lot from his father, who helped him get into the property ladder. But aside from that, who else did he turn to as a mentor? I'd like to say my my late uncle. Um, he he was a great mentor in my early days um, uh, who passed away 10 years ago now. So um, it was a, it was very um, inspirational and very, um, I guess, a life coach, if you'd say, um, growing up. So he was the, um, he was very young. So he's kind of like a, a big brother sort of model. Um, yeah. So he was my mentor. He was in the, the, um, in the property business, um, in the company with my father as well. So for being that little bit younger, um, closer to my age, um, and I guess we had similar interests in in um, in property and in construction. So uh, really, um, he, he was a he was really um, I guess I'd like to say where I am today. Kind of like his his pathway kind of led me to where I am today following his path so yeah the reason why he also inspired you and was like a mentor to you was because he also accomplished what you have you know wanted to achieve as well correct correct yeah from a from a um from a business sense i guess he always aspired to build um great properties so he would never um um skimp on design or quality or finishes that's so from a construction sense he'd put everything at his buildings, you know, so um, we'd, all, we'd often have conversations with cost effectiveness or, or maintaining the budget. But from his sense is that, no, this building, I need to build it as if I was living in it and I want to build it as if it's my home. So I guess it was a good balance between um, my, my, my father and him was that he was very um, pushing the, the boundaries, which was good for the end user. But from a business sense, um, my father was always there to kind of keep it a little bit balanced. So it was a good, it was a good blend of two. Um, and my style is more like him in that sense. So um, he actually he he allowed me to think the way I think now is that 
property development um, and the delivery of construction projects isn't, look, it's, the success is based on the profitability of it, but at the end of the day, there is some room to move to make sure that the end product isn't just about spreadsheets and, and, and numbers on a page. It's actually putting out a building that's, um, um, that you're proud of and that your end user could always um, thank you for rather than um, like that, that they can enjoy living in rather than just saying, okay, well, um, thanks for putting a roof over our head and that's it. We'd like them to actually enjoy and be proud of the building that they're in. Fayard shares the differences between the residential units they built in the past compared to what they are building for the future. The nature of our buildings now are very, um, um, I guess, mixed use in that it's, um, they could be like, um, you'd have retail spaces at the bottom, you'd have a little bit of, um, a few levels of uh, office space, and then you have your residential above. So you could kind of live in that whole complex, whether you need to get groceries down at your, the, the stores downstairs work um, in the upper levels and then and then live right at the top of the tower so um, and I guess one thing we want to keep in mind is that we want people one not only people will sure they're looking for the best price at the time but people are willing to pay that little bit more just to have that best to live in the best building in the street or the best building in the suburb. So there is that. Um, and then and then what it finds, it, it makes your job more, I guess, fun, more interesting to to be able to put something up that you're, you're, you're proud of. Um, and then there's also buyers coming on board that are willing to um, spend that little bit more just to um, um, to be part of that, that tower, that story. So, yeah. And, and you can, it's not just a look, it's the way the whole building operates, I guess. So you can't charge more just because the building looks better. It's the way the whole thing, whole thing works, you know. So I mean, I often get asked, I mean, sometimes seriously or as a joke, people ask me, are you an architect or a developer? So I like to think, I'm definitely not an architect, but I like to have that vision, you know. So Fayard discusses further his mindset and motivation. I love my documentaries. Um, um and i'm 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 big on um listening to podcasts so i guess um the one that uh, gets me up and going i guess every morning is the um i listen to the gary v um Rio experience every morning um and whenever i can if i'm driving to sites it's always on it's always on in my car um and that that really um just it breaks things down and just it just cuts out a lot of, um, um, I guess, smokes and mirrors and fly. it just really, um, it, it makes uh, operating business, I guess, a lot more um, practical. Gary's awesome. <laughs> he's just, yeah, he's just one of a kind that, you know, I've met him once and just speaking to him, so down to earth and genuine and he just has that kind of, yeah, inspirational part about him. And when he gets up on stage, man, he gets the crowd fired up. It's so genuine, so authentic. I've met him a couple of times and um, face-to-face and he's very, he's very humble and very, very, um, uh, I guess, uh, interested in what you're doing rather than just showing that he's interested. He's, re- he's really interested, I mean. He reveals the advice which completely changed his mindset and fast-tracked his success. The best piece of advice is I read once from um, is from Richard Branson, where he would explain, and he'd been through it in the past, where that if you're presented with an opportunity, and although you don't have, I guess, all your ducks in order to, to take on that opportunity, but you want to, it's it's an opportunity that you want to get involved in. You should just take it and and then work out how to. Um, um, uh, work your way through it as you have that opportunity not to turn it back because it may never come back to you um, the opportunity so I guess if it's an opportunity that you're looking for and you say well I might not be that ready for it, it come back to me in a few years time and I've, when I've built this and I've ticked that box and I've done this course and I've done that 
um, I guess that probably holds you back. If you're getting everything perfect, one, you, you'll never get that. Um, the opportunity may never come back to you again, or you you get into a point where you, you're continuously making it perfect and you never actually get the job done. So I guess um, that's um, one real big piece of advice that stuck with me in establishing Ellison Property is... Um, and you've done it well too with your brother. You formed a team. About in, 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 getting in very, all my boxes yeah, ticked like, and everything set up, I, Ellison Property wouldn't exist until probably another 10 or 15 years' time. But it's more opportunity came let's do it let's get it done um and then um uh work out how to how to do it um um is it going we have we have yeah and work that a big part of working out how it is 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 the uh, how how to get things done is um the the um it's the teamwork around us that's that's helped us to to get there, and, and they've appreciated that. Um, although we know how um, we know how to build, we know how to develop property, but um, setting up a, a, an own business that's that's something new, um, and that's where their support and they they appreciate we're in that space at the moment, and they're helping us along. So it's a good team. Drawing on the advice from Richard Branson. Faya thinks about what he would tell his younger self if he could go back in time. You don't need to make sure everything is perfect and have everything 100, if not 110% right before you go and embark on something. If it's almost there, get it, um, just grab it, do it, and then it'll, it'll work itself out. That's, that's one thing that I think I've only really embraced in the last couple of years. And if I'd done it earlier, I think um, it'd be a lot better. I asked Fayyad where he sees himself and the company in five years' time. The vision that I have and, and, and where I, uh, um, God willing, take us there is uh, I'd like to see pretty much what we do at the moment but on a larger scale. So right now we have X amount of projects under our management. Um, I'd like to see a combination of um, family projects growing um, and also having um, third-party um, developers who don't quite have the the functionality of developing a building, they may just be landowners um, coming on board, um, coming on our journey and um, um, providing that service for them. So I guess one, an expansion of what we're doing now to um, having some more um, uh, landowners coming in on the journey, enjoying our service so we can um, develop their buildings um, and three, like I mentioned earlier, I, I really like to get into the hotel space. So I don't know, five years may be a bit too early, but um, maybe 10 years. 10 years sounds like a good time frame. What, what would it take to actually build a hotel? I've never delved into that space to have a look, but what, what actually would you need? Um, I think the building side, we've got that covered. It's more about the operational and making sure that um, the numbers stack up the, to get the the right the right mix the, um, the where to put the hotel um, how many how many like I guess how many beds you need how many um, there's so we've spoken to a lot of hotel um, operators in the past that um, that wanting to as I mentioned earlier uh, potentially rent our buildings um, so we build the shell for them they come in with their builders they'll fit out to make it look like a hotel um, and then they'll operate it. Um, so in talking with them, there's a lot of things that I couldn't quite um, understand. Like I, I understand how to how to build the thing for them and how to sell the structure to them, but um, what makes their business profitable? That's something that I'd like to spend the next few years trying to understand, and then work out if I've got that sorted. Can I then go and delve into that that side of things as well? So it's a completely different world out there. <laughs> It is different. It's totally different. It's, it's a different world. And like I mentioned before, I don't want to pretend I know it just because I've built a couple of structures before and had um, hotel operators in and around me. I don't pretend that I am a hotel operator. I have built hotels, but I, I like to um, um, know that, I guess, the point two and point three of that journey I was explaining earlier um, before I set foot into that. So, yeah. But it's definitely on my radar. So, how much, if any, of his success is determined by luck? I think luck 
is luck's a funny word in property development, I guess. Um, some people say um, you're lucky that your apartment doubled in price in five years, or you're lucky that um, you got a good deal on your apartment. But that could be put down to skill as well, as in buying at the right time, knowing the market, uh, um, working out what's about to boom, what 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 train station is just about to be built, so you know to buy an apartment there. So by the time it's built, it's then. So it d- depends the way you look at it um, in property. People who, I guess, don't acknowledge that you need to know a few things or be smart about the property space um, will call it luck because it's it's very hard to differentiate. It's not like um, you can prove why your apartment or your your, your home um, increased in value. You can't prove it, but you just knew it was the right time to buy before it went up in price. So I guess because you can't prove it, someone might say, well, it's luck, um, and you kind of have to just shrug it and say, well, yeah, it has to be, it's got to be luck because you can't really explain it. And I guess that's what I've found um, a lot of people in the space, they or, or, they or either talk about how did you know that was going to happen in that area to buy that parcel of land or do you get other people who say you're so lucky that you bought that land and happened to be a train station or a train or like a light rail um, stop is going to happen right out your doorstep. You know, so people, it depends how you look at it, you know, so. Thank you to Fayard Fayard, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. Do you find yourself stressed out not knowing how or where to find the best property deals or what the best strategy is to build a wealth generating portfolio? Well, Dragon Dominski can help you while you save time and money. With about two decades of experience as an investor and expert buyer's agent, he finds positively geared properties with development potentials and secures and negotiates off-market deals for his clients. Now, he's offering you a no-obligation 45-minute strategy call to get you started. Just simply text the code BAA with your name and email address to 0405-105-074 to get your no-obligation free 45-minute strategy call. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.